Welcome to the Engage and Empower podcast. Behind every successful company is an intentional and innovative approach to empowering your most valuable asset, your people. Join me in having conversations with people and talent leaders as we share our journeys and unpack what it takes to build strong, cohesive teams and employee experiences. From executives at early stage startups to innovators at large public companies, we'll capture the compelling stories of the people behind People Teams. Hey everyone, thanks so much for tuning in to the Engage and Empower podcast. I'm your host, Rasika Rajagopalan, and today I am so glad to be chatting with Heather Dunn, Chief People Officer at New Front Insurance. Heather has a wealth of experiences leading and scaling high growth organizations. Prior to New Front Insurance, she was leading people teams at Dropbox and Microsoft and has worked on some really cool initiatives in her day. So I'm excited to dig into all of that. Heather, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I have been a big fan and sort of listening to some of the other podcasts that you've had. So I feel very privileged and honored that you even thought to ask me. So super excited to be here. Oh my goodness, you are too kind. I'm really looking forward to the conversation and hearing about your story. So so tell me a little bit more about that. How did you land in the people space? You know, tell me a little bit about the companies you've worked at and how you've landed in your your current role today. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I'm one of those really odd birds that landed in HR when I was 16, which, you know, I don't know if many people can say, but I was actually working at an insurance company in the claims department, which was a very interesting experience, I'm sure you can imagine. And someone came down and said, hey, do you want to work in personnel? And I said, I have no idea what personnel is, but sure, yes, I would love to check that out. So really got to learn about HR at a young age and learned that I really enjoyed it and had some great mentors along the way. So really structured my, I guess, high school, college, and my graduate experience and thinking about How do I get more experiences across different industries through internships that will make me a better professional as I come out of my education? So went to Michigan State for my grad program and landed at Microsoft as an internship and then into full-time where they have this awesome rotational program, two one-year rotations, and you land in your final spot. So I said, I want to be a business partner. I love HR business partner work. How do I make myself a better business partner? So I thought about compensation and then I thought about staffing. And so I would say I respect people so much in both of those roles. They are incredibly difficult in their own ways and I learned a ton. But again, really just developed me into what I thought was a more well-rounded business partner through those couple of experiences. And I mean, it's Microsoft just to get that level of exposure to some very experienced leadership teams and people leaders and established practices was really grounding and experience for me. And so from there, I said, you know what? I was a little bit earlier in my career and I was like, all this red tape and I can't build things without five people being involved. And so said, let me go to startup land in San Francisco. So made the move here and was the first business partner on the tech side for Dropbox. So Dropbox was about 1,100 people at that point. And when I left, they were about 3,800. So saw just tremendous amount of growth, was able to support the CFO through the IPO process, leading a great team of HR business partners, 
and kind of got to the same spot where I said, I want to build. And I think I want to do this like head of people route. Let me see what that's about. And that's really where I met Spike and Gordon and New Front at that point in time. Wow, that's a very cool story. I would agree. Like, I don't think that there are that many people that can say that they have had exposure to this field since they were 16. You've clearly seen it evolve. And I like the kind of intentional approach you've had to, okay, what are all of the experiences that I need to have to set me up to be a strong people leader? And so the rotational program sounds super, super cool. Is being a chief people officer distinctly different than your role as head of people or, you know, as a VP level role, like what are some of the main distinctions between somebody that is that chief people officer? Yeah. And I think this probably will vary company to company. So when I joined Newfront, I was head of people. And I think the way Spike will describe the difference is a C-level title means we want you to be this role as we continue to scale for years to come. And so I think this promotion came in about October, November timeframe. After you know going through the year we had of 2020 and a year under my belt in the role, and I think it's always a little weird to toot your own horn, but you know I think Spike really got to see the potential of having me in the role longer term and wanted to solidify that that was really the place in the organization he wanted me for the long term. Yeah, it's always great to see executive teams investing in that role. Would you say, you know, in your day to day with an executive lead, a chief people officer on that team, you're able to provide the people perspective to a lot of the decisions that are made in the business or, you know, as part of the benefit also that you are getting a lot more business context by being in the room for some of those conversations? Like, what are some of the benefits around having that role at the table? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is actually more externally to our employees. I think Newfront has done an excellent job. I've always reported to Spike. I've always sat on the exec team. I've always felt like I've had that place without the title. I think to the company, though, it really signaled that, hey, this is an incredibly important role for somebody that we want to continue to invest in as far as their actual function but also how we think about culture, that it is at a C-level title. And I do think you know, a lot of our employees, again, going through some tough times last year, I will say that particular promotion was, I got a lot of really kind notes just about you know, how much they feel valued and that the culture is something that Spike is continuing to spend time investing in even after a difficult year. So I'd say, you know, I was kind of lucky to have all of the benefits you described prior to the promotion. And I think really was more of an emphasis on just the importance of culture and people at the organization, both to myself, but also to the company. Yeah, you're investing in an entire org through that, you know, move, which is really cool. So what does Newfront do? How large is the company? How large is your people team? What does that look like? Yeah. So there's a lot of insure tech out there. And so how I always like to describe Newfront is, you know, Spike took a look at all of the insure tech companies and he said, you know, they're all focusing on technology, which we absolutely should. Insurance is incredibly archaic when it comes to tech and tools. And so, but what he realized is if you're going to sell commercial insurance or employee benefits to a business, you have to have brokers involved. Insurance is all about relationships. And so what we're doing at Newfront is marrying both having brokers, building those relationships, and truly focused on what they do best, because we also have an amazing technology platform that we're pairing with that. 
So it is incredibly interesting for a number of reasons that I'm sure we'll get into on just brokers that have come from more traditional insurance experiences and, you know, your traditional Bay Area tech employees and how do we create kind of common values and culture, which is why the job itself was super attractive to me because it didn't feel like just sort of your next tech startup, something really uniquely culture focused. Yeah, yeah. It's very interesting how, you know, the modern era of tech now is moving into this area where we're integrating a lot of different types of industries together. I've previously worked in companies that integrated medicine and tech together. So you've had, you know, pharmacists and doctors and nurses on the team. Currently, I work at a company that's at the intersection of tech and real estate. So I work with real estate agents and property managers and and those types of things. And so definitely a really cool intersection. Also, you have to be really intentional about how you support those types of employees. And so are there any key distinctions or key focus areas that you have for these differing groups of employees? Yeah, so it's interesting because, and I'm sure you can relate, I think there are so many companies that are trying to disrupt some of these more traditional industries. And I think if you're not incredibly intentional about every sort of people program and process and where you want to be super consistent across the company versus, hey, there are specific things for brokers that are going to make sense there, or let's pilot something within our non-broker population and then bring brokers in sort of in phase two. But I think the program that I'm most proud of, and this definitely gets a major shout out to Shazia on my team is our diversity and inclusion efforts. So obviously a hot topic over the last year and coming in as New Friends, a three-year-old company and about 200 employees, we could take kind of the standard DNI approach of putting together a strategy and statement. And there's nothing wrong with that, just to be clear. But for us, we really kind of had to think back to sort of a very first principles view of saying, how do we think about where brokers are coming from and sort of their education about some of these issues versus how do our ops folks, how, what sort of exposure have they had versus our technical employees in the Bay Area who, who you know have probably been a lot more exposed and have certain expectations around diversity. And so we really took a step back and said, how do we focus on education first? And so we did a series of monthly lunch and learns with a company called Collective where we really focused on, you know, let's not jump right into microaggressions, but maybe let's just talk about what diversity means, what inclusion means, what equity means, so that we can actually generate meaningful conversation. And so that actual approach was just a much better one for us. And I think really led to some interesting discussions between those communities and trying to learn from one another and their experiences, which I think was incredibly powerful. Yeah, I mean, I think that's so important because the purpose of driving a lot of those conversations is to bring people together. And I think the added layer of how do these things show up among our different employee groups and bringing those groups together to discuss, I think there's a lot that you can learn from those employees. I've also found just the way that you, I mean, in my past experiences, I've had employees that are on, you know, our fulfillment team or in our warehouse team. And, you know, you can't just send like articles and links via Slack to those employees because they don't have a laptop in front of them. They're not able to communicate in the same ways as some of our tech employees. And so I think, you know, intentionally creating spaces where you're bringing these two folks together is really one of the best ways that you can ensure that the dialogue is being driven to all sort of corners of the business. 
I think there's a lot that you can learn. Diversity, you know, isn't just about race, ethnicity, gender. Like it also is about different perspectives, which is exactly what those groups bring. And I think what makes those types of companies fun. Like I love learning from our pharmacists, nurses, real estate agents. It's a completely different world. So and that is in, great. Yeah. And they're so engaged in the conversation too. I've been, I get a lot of calls from brokers that say like, I'm nervous to ask you this question, but I just want to hear more because I just have never been exposed to this. You know, brokerages don't traditionally talk about these things or focus on them or invest. And so to your point, I think it's just raised such good conversation between groups at the company. And again, just has kind of given us that common language and groundwork to build off of over time as well. Right. And I mean, to that point, I think a lot of tech companies are making investments in these conversations and in companies where, you know, you have a diverse group of uh, employee groups, like think of the impact that you're making on another industry by engaging those employees in the conversation. Like they may go to another company or you're impacting the insurance industry, like through these efforts in your small 200 person startup and So I'm a big believer in micro change, one piece at a time. So, you know, I think it's, you can't understate the impact of that. Yeah. So how has New Front fared through the pandemic? And, you know, what have you learned as a people leader about the resiliency of your organization or of an organization in general and the role that the people team plays in supporting that? been a crazy year for people in talent through 2020. There's a lot of change that we're continuing to anticipate in 2021. So what has that been like for you at New Front? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I think it's crazy to think. I know we closed our offices on March 6th and the fact that we're getting so close to that date. Wow. Yeah, that is wild. Right? It is crazy to think about it because I was still very early at New Front. Luckily, I had a few months under my belt before everything started to kind of happen in that March timeframe. But I think we were lucky in the sense that, you know, a lot of our brokers were already working from home. We were a little more comfortable, I think, hiring remotely ahead of the pandemic. But it still meant we had to adjust really quickly, like every other company needed to, as far as just how do we communicate? How often do we communicate? How transparently do we want to communicate about what's going on? And so I think early in the pandemic, just very candidly, we weren't sure what would happen. We insure small and medium businesses. And you know, at the start of the pandemic, that was really where we were potentially going to hurt very quickly. And so we did go through a layoff in April that I think at the time was absolutely the right call, but you can imagine culturally, and I know a lot of other people leaders led their companies through similar events, not only difficult from you know making sure that day is as respectful as possible to those that are impacted, but thinking about those that are still at the company, sort of that day after, because you know especially with a pandemic related layoff, it meant people were sort of blindsided. Wait a minute, I thought we were doing really well and pandemic just started. And so we spent a lot of time as a people organization and as a leadership team thinking about how we rebuild that trust, quite frankly. And so we did that through a series of things like really refining our vision. I had monthly, I continue to do so, have monthly Q&As with the organization where they can really ask me anything which you know we've always aired on the side of transparency but I think that really built trust quite well over time. I started these it might sound a little silly but this effort called 51015s 
where I talked to five people at 10 a.m. for 15 minutes so that people were starting to get to know each other a little bit cross-functionally. It was a more approachable environment for me to get to know folks. But really, I think the two big things that I learned throughout the last year, one is, you know, totally stolen from Brene Brown, which is clarity is kindness. And I think that quote itself has really resonated with me and has resonated with the company and with the leadership team. And it's sort of the approach I take to all of the work that I do. And then additionally, I think it's just listen. I think, you know, like many of us, we spent a lot of time just listening to employees and what was on their mind and trying to be as agile as possible. All plans were kind of out the door. So it's on us to be as agile to our people. So those two things have really stuck with me, I think, post-pandemic, hopefully, that I think will still be applicable and will be apparent in really strong cultures to come. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot in there that you said that I think are some really great takeaways. Uh, when in any time an organization goes through you know, a layoff or a change like that, it's really tough. I think coming out of it, the organizations that thrive are those where your leaders do invest the time in providing that clarity, as you've said. I've seen a lot of CEOs do AMAs and create open forums. I think it's a really cool idea for people leaders to do that as well, because at the end of the day, like in a time like this, yes, like I have questions about the business, but I also have questions about myself and, and how I'm being supported and how this affects me or, you know, wanting to understand more about, you know, how decisions were made that affected, you know, their colleagues and friends. And so I think that's really cool. I think the idea you had about bringing people together for 15 minutes at a time, I mean, just the FaceTime is something that we're lacking right now. And I think just mimicking, like it doesn't have to be a one hour meeting, but just mimicking like the, hey, if you pop by my desk on your way into the office in the morning, because I sit by the door, like that kind of feels a bit similar to that. And so I think that that is really cool. And then lastly, on your point of, you know, Brene Brown's clarity is kind. I think clarity is also really empowering. Like if you have an understanding of why we did this or where we're heading, like that gives you information to share your ideas and to take initiative and identify opportunities and to drive them. And I think in a time where the businesses, all businesses are struggling with new challenges, people are trying to figure out, you know, what does this mean for me? Like, where's the meaning that I'm finding my job? And when you are empowered to build solutions, like that can be a sense of peace and encouragement for a lot of people. So Absolutely. I love that you all took that approach. Absolutely. I'll have to add that. That'll be, you know, Brene <laughs> Brown plus plus. I love that. Yeah, I completely agree on the empowerment piece. And I think there are business practices that certainly where clarity is kind, but I think Honestly, like the people side has just been so important to give clarity on, can you move right now? Are we going to have mental health days where I don't have to feel like I have to ask my manager about that? How are you helping me as a parent? And the more proactive and, and clear you can be on those, to your point, I think the empowerment of our team, which has showed up in our engagement survey results, funny enough, now that you've mentioned that, you know, I do think that builds retention and engagement over time as well, post all of this going on. Definitely, definitely. So you've definitely taken a very informed approach to how you've, you know, reworked or rethought a lot of your people programs this year in response to some of the changes that, you know, the organization and world has gone through, one of them being performance reviews. So tell us a little bit about how you thought about performance and feedback, maybe more traditionally, and how you rethought through that this year in light of everything that we've been navigating. 
Yeah. You know, performance is like this thing that exists for me. I think post Microsoft, um, I was in the era of stack ranking and force distribution there that it sort of always had this weird tone with me. And then going to Dropbox, just a very, very strong performance culture also rooted around ratings. But I would say feedback was incredibly strong there. Coming to Newfront, our first cycle, we just needed to get something in place to get feedback going. And this was January 2020. And so we did take a more traditional approach and just an effort to get things rolling and getting a a performance and promotion process going for the company. But this year, I said, we have two options. We can continue doing what we've been doing, or we can acknowledge what we've been through this year. And what we've been through is, you know, our organization is about 40% parents who have had, and most of them are school-aged, that are trying to teach from home and juggle a job plus a teacher's job as well. You know, we have people dealing with some serious mental health issues, people that have had serious family issues related to COVID, a lot of uncertainty just in the world itself and social unrest. So why don't we take an approach of let's get quality feedback to individuals, but let's take sort of this extra piece out of ratings and you know, differentiated comp based on ratings and take a more uniform approach for compensation to say, hey, everyone is going to receive this raise unless, you know, with a couple exceptions, including things like promotions, or if anyone was below band as a result of our comp analysis that we refreshed. And, you know, I think some of the leaders were a little nervous because, you know, the first thing you go to is are high performers going to be upset? We were trying to build a performance culture. And the message we really landed was, we got through this year together. And this isn't the way we're going to do it forever. But 2020 was a year of doing more with less for, you know, to your point, resilience for differing circumstances. And for us, we want to reward everybody for doing that as a team. And so, you know, we haven't run our survey yet, but I'd say the ad hoc first sort of impression from the group, we just finished all the comp conversations and feedback conversations is that things actually were less stressful. You know, it wasn't going to be about a rating or, oh gosh, I don't know how much of a raise I'm going to get. We were clear about exact percentage so that people were clear on these types of things. And so far the results have been quite positive. So trying to think about how we integrate more of that feedback approach with less of that guesswork and anxiety around what comes with performance as we think about sort of cycles to come. Yeah. I mean, talk about building trust like this right there, I think really, really demonstrates that because I think when people talk about building trust, it's not just about opening forums and being available and providing your employees with days where they can do quarterly days off as a company. Like really it's responding proactively to what do people need right now? No employee is going to come up to you and say, Hey, I don't want to do performance reviews this year. I don't, I don't want my pay to be tied to my review this year because I've had to homeschool my kid all year after work and, you know, put in the extra time filling for people that, you know, I had to see leave on my team and whatever, all of these different things, right? Or, you know, I've had a bad internet connection and and that makes me have to spend more time on my job, whatever the case may be. I think in these moments, like, you really show the value of your function. I mean, we're not just running, you You ideally, you know, modern people functions are going to have change like this on a quarterly basis to react to in the days forward. We're not behind like the change that 2020 brought us. 
I mean, in an exciting way, I think there's a lot of dynamic change that's going to happen in the, the world of work. And so you and your team responding to that, I think is huge and something that a lot of, I think that's the value that the CPO role brings is providing that guidance and having that voice to really show like why this matters. This is going on a total tangent, but one of the things that I always noticed when I was growing up is that there were a lot of students that would come from a school into my high school and uh, that school didn't have any grades. Like they just learned and they were given like verbal written feedback and they didn't have any grades. And I would always think of like, you go K through eighth grade, like not getting grades. Like, are you going to do well when you come into like a traditional system? And a lot of those students were always our valedictorians. Like they had some of the highest GPAs and they did really well. And I think part of it was just like that school really cultivated a lot of like intrinsic learning and like just the value of putting in the effort and then building curiosity. And I think performance programs, like they don't always have to be tied to compensation or always have to be metrics driven in order to drive value. There's value in both, of course, but I think every now and then it's nice to kind of play around and see you know, what result am I getting from this approach versus that approach? Absolutely. And it's an interesting case study in itself. What you just described, you know, I think for people leaders to learn from, that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So a lot to play around with. I mean, I think that's the fun in our jobs is trying to do things differently. That's basically been the evolution of this field over the last, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, as you have seen it since you were 16. And so support is a big theme, right, in your organization. How have you supported some other groups during this time? Parents being, you know, one of those groups that were, you know, pretty heavily affected just across the board. Yeah, I mean, parents became sort of the forefront for me very quickly as we were entering summer. And just again, I'm actually not a parent. So it was a really good exercise for me in saying, I don't know really anything about this topic. Or if I if I read something, that's as much as I can know, but I will not understand the exact experience. And so what I did was not only send, you know, sort of a specific survey on how things were going to parent but also to put some small groups together. We at that point didn't have a parent's ERG or ways that they could communicate together. It was a way for us to find out what was working so far, what did they need, what were some quick wins, and what did they want to own? I think, you know, for I this will probably resonate with a lot of people leaders, but my instinct is always like, I don't want to bother people with having to own things. I'll just take care of it. I'll hear all the feedback. But essentially this particular effort really didn't make sense for me to own end to end. And so after gathering all of that feedback, we were able to establish things like out school, which has been huge support as far as, especially a lot of our kids being in sort of the K through eight zone and our parents being able to utilize some of those classes. So definitely a plug there, establishing the ERG itself. And then I think One of the bigger things for us was training managers on how to manage parents right now. What questions should you ask? What types of leave options do you have? I think a lot of companies in my experience have focused so much on what are we giving parents? What are we giving parents? What are we giving parents? But I think there's been an equally important effort on how do we equip managers to be not only better remote managers, while still learning foundational elements, but also equip them with the right questions and ways to guide conversations on flexibility for such a large group at New Front. 
So I was very excited and I still love being engaged on everything, but I would say that was probably one of the sort of prouder moments of this this pandemic is just hearing from them, seeing the kids on Zoom, being able to talk to some of them and really embrace that across our exec team and throughout the company. Yeah, I mean, it's great that you were able to bring people together too by bringing those families into the conversation. On that point about educating managers, in a past company uh, at a manager development program that we created, one of the modules, it was a very short one, you know, it was just 15 to 30 minutes, but it was really around understanding a lot of our core policies, parental leave, like how do we think about that here, sick time, mental health benefits. And we created a TLDR sheet for managers that gave them the what you need to know as a manager on these, because like at the end of the day, it's just as important for a manager to understand those things as your people team. Like you show a lot more advocacy as a manager if somebody comes to you and you're like, hey, like these are some of the great things that we have to support you rather than like, oh, go talk to Ruska in people. And and she can help you. And so I love that approach that you're taking. Tell me a little bit more about OutSchool. What is that? I've never heard yeah, of that. so OutSchool, they basically have hundreds of teachers across all sorts of topics. And so Newfront funded a certain amount of dollars to, for each parent to use towards their kid being able to learn more about, like there's math tutors, as an example, or there's a really cool Pokemon session that, you know, I know the kids really liked, or there were, you know, like parent and me sessions where, you know, you could learn together across age groups. They also have summer camps. So it really, especially during the summer, especially during some of these breaks, it's allowed parents to say, hey, you're not just hopping on your iPad all day while I'm working, but you're hopping on your iPad to continue and have some fun while continuing learning and being able to be a little more independent through the day. Yeah, that's super cool. I mean, that's cool even like for an after-school program kind of idea after things go back to work with more employees working remotely for the longer term. So love it. You know, now that a lot of companies are at that point that are thinking about like, how are we going to return to work? What are things going to look like once the pandemic passes, what will the new normal be? How have you all thought about that in terms of what type of model you're going to pursue, what that's going to look like and why? I'm sure there's a lot you've learned over the last year. Oh, yeah. I don't think I've read more on a single topic than <laughs> remote versus hybrid versus in-person approach. And I think many people leaders like myself, I've been very explicit with the exec team. Like, We don't need to be first out of the gate on this stuff let's make a good thoughtful decision. So depending when this is released, we're actually announcing to the company on Friday that we will still have some small office spaces, but the beauty of the pandemic for us, and what's hard to talk about is the business is doing phenomenally well. It turns out insurance is incredibly recession proof. And we've really invested heavily in hiring across the US. And so about 75% of our workforce does not sit near one of our offices that we have today. So regardless of fully virtual or some level of hybrid, we've almost already made a choice that we need to be more intentional about virtual culture in general. And so what we're announcing is, is not only that we'll have some small co-working spaces in places like San Francisco, Sacramento, and LA area, where we kind of have more density of employees. 
but that we're really going to make some solid investments to make sure that a more remote virtual environment is set up for success. So things like including a more formal office reimbursement for folks that are going to be working remotely, things like potentially hiring a remote office manager to really be thoughtful about events that are more virtual friendly, you know, thinking about more manager training that's focused on how do you manage remote teams, more investment in technology platforms that are going to make it a bit easier. So it's interesting when you start diagnosing what you want to do with what, because at the end of the day, you have to be ready to invest in a different way, even if it's not real estate. And so I've been really proud of the exec team and sort of expanding their own thinking about what we want to do and excited to announce to the company on Friday, those investments and giving confidence that really you can move anywhere and Newfront will support you, which I'm excited to announce. Yeah. I mean, I, I love the line of thinking and just the evolution of like, what's the upside to this? Like, what have we learned and what can we use to support our people moving forward? I like the intentionality behind the remote experience. Actually, I think that's going to be a huge team on in organizations moving forward. Traditionally, you have facilities and office management and remote experiences like tool sets, internal communication, like knowing the right balance between asynchronous and live work. Like we all don't want to be reading like 30 Google Docs to onboard also, you know, and so finding the right balance. So I think that's really cool. And I and I also kind of, and I'm in the same boat, like, you know, if there's one thing I learned last year, it was let's adapt and evolve slowly but surely. Like, let's be careful about predicting what's going to work for us in six months. Like, we're still learning. And so I think that transparent yet, like, we're going to keep learning and we're going to keep listening approach relieves a lot of anxiety for people that, you know, may have other concerns that they're also not sure how it's going to pan out, like what the school situation is going to be in the fall or what X is going to look like or what Y is going to look like. That's right. And so, Yeah. And I think, too, it's been interesting trying to say, what is our workforce strategy post-pandemic? Like, start with thinking about a world where kids are back at school and that we're continuing to hire the way we are. Because, again, you know, what's been interesting on the talent market front, at least in, in the insurance space, is that it's been an incredible hiring advantage for us. I mean, we're hiring people in Georgia that are incredible insurance professionals but never thought they'd have the chance to work at a startup. And so that energy and cultural ad has also just been really exciting to see for the company. And not, you know, as someone that lives in the Bay Area, that doesn't mean that we're not hiring anyone in the Bay. But I think it's given us an expanded look that has really sort of put some new energy into the company culture that I think we'll continue to build on over time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this has been awesome, Heather. As we wrap, I have one more question for you. There's just so many great ideas and, and initiatives that you've talked about today. Are there any books or people that inspire you as you think through a lot of these topics? So I have to admit, I used to be a huge reader and I have fallen off the track of reading, but I am reading currently. So this will be a little more recency bias, but I'm reading Untamed right now by Glennon Doyle. And if you have not picked up that book, I highly recommend it. I think it's given me a lot to think about as far as just what societal norms have taught us, especially as women, but I think it's equally important for men. And how do we unlearn some of that so that we can really be our true selves? And so I would highly recommend that. On the people front, 
she'll listen to this, I'm sure, and and be a little red in the face. But Melanie Collins, who leads the people organization at Dropbox, is by far the most inspiring leader I have ever worked for in my career. And I think, you know, when I think about what she is so good at, it truly is that agility and the hustle that she brought that I learned from her at Dropbox that really got me through this year. So huge shout out to Melanie Collins for shaping me as the people leader that I am today. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. It's incredible when you have people that, you know, that you're inspired by that you also get to work for and directly interact with on a daily basis. Like there's really no better learning than that. And Untamed, you're probably the third or fourth person that's recommended that to me. So (laughs) I'll definitely have to add that onto my Audible queue. Well, Heather, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your story and uh, all the initiatives that you're working on. I think that there's a lot that we all have to learn from what you all are doing at New Front and how you're kind of responding both, you know, in the current day and current state of affairs, but also really looking forward and thinking about what type of precedent you're looking to set and what type of organization you're looking to build as your company grows in the future. And so tremendous impact you're making in the space. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. This was super fun. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to hear more stories like this, Please subscribe for the weekly drop and feel free to share around with your people and talent colleagues. I'd love your feedback, so please leave a review and let us know what you enjoyed and what types of topics you'd like to see covered in the future. The more reviews and subscribers we get, the more quality content we can consistently deliver to you. If you're interested in being on the podcast, feel free to reach out to me at russica at engageandempower.org. See you next week.